What time is it? Showtime. All right. That was a bad Hamilton impression. Forget which song it is. But anyway, the tournament is finally here. The brackets have been set. My dog is ready to pick some mascots. And the teams are ready to hit the court. DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy, is celebrating with their largest free college basketball survival pool ever. How large? Here's a big number. $1 million in total prizes up for grabs. And if that's not enough, check this out. When you enter the free DraftKings $1 million survival pool, you can get a shot at winning $10,000 for every upset through the first two rounds of the tournament. It's easy to play. Just pick one team per day, and if they win, you survive and advance to the next round. Last person standing is the winner. And remember, you can only pick a team once for the entire tournament, so choose wisely. DraftKings is a safe and secure app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So get in on all of the action. Download the DraftKings app now. Enter code HABERSHOW. That's H-A-B as in boy, E-R-S-H-O-W. Haber Show during sign up and enter the free $1 million survivor pool. Again, that is code Haber Show to enter into the DraftKings free $1 million survivor pool. Eligibility restrictions and terms and conditions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. And now, on to the Haber Show. Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haber Stroh, and I, I'm even tripping up on that. And it's my name, and it's my show. As always, we're joined by Amin El Hassan, who comes to you from the sports business cl- classroom backdrop. Uh, are they sponsoring today's show? I mean, they're not. They're not sponsoring today's show. I am working for them this week. We have a class. We're myself, Eric Pincus, Ryan McDonough. We are leading these students through some great uh, instruction, some great uh, Q&As with people like Tommy Shepard and Bobby Webster and all the big names. As you know, Albert Hall, Warren Legary, they always do it big. Uh, but I have the backdrop up here. I don't mean that to co-sign anything that I say on this <laughs> podcast or anything else other than the sports business classroom. That's an important disclaimer as we get into this conversation. Um, <laughs> Bernie Lee, uh, the president of Cortex Basketball, has joined us on the Haber Show. I am super excited for this. Bernie um, has represented a bunch of NBA clients, principally one that is uh, now the MVP of MVPs in the MVP conversation. I mean, uh, Jimmy Butler. So oh, yeah. I'm excited for this. I mean, <laughs> I'm excited too. Bernie came in. Coming in hot, he was ready to talk shit. <laughs> I, saw, I saw it in his face. I was like, here comes Bernie. <laughs> I almost buried my own introduction just trying to jump up so quick because it was going to be one that you appreciated more than anything. But I'll let it go. Uh, you know what? It's my first time on on uh, television, gentlemen. Uh, I, I didn't know my cues. <laughs> well, you look great. You have a, an amazing television backdrop. Maybe not as good as a means right now. Um, but this is this is kind of the perfect time to talk 
to you, Bernie, because the Jimmy Butler MVP campaign has been flying high the last couple of days. But I don't think people quite understand how you became Jimmy Butler's agent and how you became an agent in the first place. And we'd like to do this on this show where we kind of peel back the curtain a little bit when we have these guests. We want to a little bit learn a little bit about your story. So how did you become start with Jimmy Butler's agent and then peel it back to how did you become an agent in the first place? Yeah, no, it's uh first thanks for having me. I'm I'm uh I'm happy to be able to do this with you with you guys. So um yeah, I'm I'm uh I wanna pick like the the politically like correct way without burying myself way to kind of describe this, but like I'm I'm easily like the luckiest man on planet earth kind of thing. Um I think the question of how I became Jimmy's agent is really tied into how I just became an agent, period, right? So I uh, played basketball when I was in university, when I was graduating from school, like was one of those kind of people that thought to myself, like, you know, I really want to uh, stay working in sports. Um, and for me, my easiest path was taking an internship, working with an agent, like didn't, had no idea really what it was. Like I had seen the movie Jerry Maguire. Uh, but outside of that, like I, you know, grew up in Toronto, went to school in California, and, like I hadn't really had that much exposure to like the business side of the business of sports. Mm. Um, got this like one offer and it like made my mom not worry about like me, you know, what I was going to do with the degree that I kind of had. Like, <laughs> so uh, I took it and it was like one of those things within like the first week, like I kind of figured out like, holy, like I, I got really, can we curse on this? Like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. okay. I was like. Uh, you know, I, I got really lucky. I, I figured out like what I was supposed to do. Right. So that was like around 23. I, um, started, uh, working as an intern from there, just kind of built work. I placed mostly European clients, guys that would go play in like, uh, leagues in Europe and everything like that. And the one thing like it kind of started teaching me was, uh, in basketball and Amin can speak to this as well. Like in, if the world is six degrees of separation, the world of basketball is like two degrees of separation. Like everybody either like knows somebody or is relates, like everybody's somebody, right? So I remember I had this one client that was, um, I did a job to go play in like Slovenia or Slovakia or something like that. It's like a lower level, like European league. And his workout partner was a guy named Mike James um, that at the time, I think he was playing for like the Bucks or something like that, right? Uh, no, he was playing in... This was before he played for the Pistons. So yeah, so it was, it was the Bucks. So um, Mike became like point of contact for this guy that I had playing in Slovenia. I had some exposure to Mike. Within a year of that, Mike gets traded to Toronto Lips across the street from me. And like literally across the street? Literally across the street from me, right? Um, I start working with Mike. Uh, again, like I'm the one person. This is when Canada was like a lot more, Toronto was a lot more isolated from the rest of the NBA. Like it was basically what I'm saying here was pre-Drake. Um, so <laughs> literally like you would get traded to the Raptors. It felt like you got traded to like the moon, you know? Um, so I was the one person like Mike knew here, lived across the street from me. Um, Mike at that point, I think it was like a 10 point per game score. You know, it was had like a decent career at Want a, a ring as like a rotation guy for the Pistons, but wasn't like you know the guy, right? Comes to Toronto and like just goes nuts. Like if if you look at like Mike's from like uh, you know people, and I'm one of these people. Like I I pile on like analytic and like stat geeks a bunch when it doesn't like suit me. 
But when it does suit me, like I'll be the first. See, this is the thing is like everyone hates analytics, but then we got agents hitting me up being like, hey, what was that stat you, you yeah. said about uh, Gron Dragic? And I'm like, oh, this week's like, perfect. I'm going to use that in the meeting with the Heat tomorrow. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I do it all the time like that when you can get sample sizes and you can skew things and you know how to frame the argument. Like I can make. I can make analytics like it's like essentially being in a relationship, right? You're arguing with like your spouse, or whatever. Like I can figure out a way to like frame my thing, but not tell you the whole story, if that makes sense. So Mike James was Mike Jordan, basically, is the way you were describing. Year, I'm telling you, if you look at that year, okay. So this is off the top of my head, this was 2005. So he averaged 22 points a game, uh, seven assists, four rebounds. He shot 46 percent from three and like 51% from two, like it was insane. Like it, it made like his, his number, to, like all time, like point at that time, right? When it was like yeah. his play everything. And it was, he played 78 or 79 games that year. So I had a sample size that was only 79 games and a 27 win season, right? Like perfect, right? And I think he played 37 minutes a game. So the per 36 worked in my case. Everything was perfect, like just perfectly lined up, right? So I was like 27 at that time. Um, he goes from being like, a, a, you know, a, a NBA player that you know, was just a rotation guy, whatever, to being a 20 point per game scorer. Like I, I took me, I think maybe like 13 minutes to do his contract once like free agency started, you know, like it was like, and I'm thinking in my head, like, man, this is going to be the easiest thing ever, right? Like, I took the best career. Like, I'm so good at this, right? <laughs> so, one for yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> he signs with Minnesota, and it was like that that Jerry Maguire moment. Like, you know how all NBA deals happen in Vegas, right? Because we would do them all at Summer League. So, I remember being like, it might have literally been my first time in Vegas at this point, too, right? I'm like 27 years old. I remember doing uh, his deal. He signs off on it, and I walk back. The, the strip because at the time like I hadn't really made any money yet so I think I was staying at like New York New York or something uh, right <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know you walk down the strip to go to the wind where all the good yeah. people stay and then you walk back to like project right I'm just going for a walk just going for a walk yeah <laughs> yeah so I just negotiated this deal that was like I want to say it was like 27 28 million dollars like I'm walking on a ship like this is amazing I walked by Bellagio's accounts are going off like Ocean's Eleven like <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be amazing. I'm going to own this hotel one day, right? <laughs> so, and I remember like thinking with Mike, because everything with him, it went smooth. So when he signed the contract in my head, I'm like, he did it. He made it. Over the course of that contract, he got traded five times. And I think played on like seven teams during the, wow. the last team he ends up with ends up being like Chicago Bulls. But the thing that the commitment that I made to him at the time, because I remember when it blew up. So when I signed him and started working with him in the middle part of the year, it was like there wasn't a whole lot of people that were really on him. By the end of the year, it was like everybody. Yeah, like we were telling the story about like Shaq. I remember driving in the car with him in Houston maybe two weeks before uh, All Star started, and uh, we were driving his car. His phone rings, and he looks and he like sees it's Shaq, so he answers it, and it's like Bluetooth in the car, right? In the fan in me is like, oh my god, ask him about blue chips, right? First thing Shaq says right away, he's like, hey, man, we want to try and get you with us. I got my agent here. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> 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 right? So, I, and it was just like, 
it was just how things had changed. So the commitment that I made with Mike, I was like, look, like you believe me, I'll believe you. As long as you want to do this, I will have the same energy that I have now trying to do what this is layup contracts like for the rest of your career. I'm not knowing the commitment that I'm actually making is going to be put to the test, right? So it really got put to the test by the end. By the end of his, his career, he finished up with Chicago. In Chicago, he played over the course of like three seasons. I think he signed 14 different contracts with the Chicago Bulls. Or <laughs> like, wow. Like, right? It took a lot of work. So I remember like I, I just kept like that same like commitment and energy with him. So he was like a 10-day guy or an unguaranteed contract. I would still go there, you know, once every like 10 days, whatever. There was part of it too. Like I'm 42 years old, so I grew up in the 90s, like, going to a Chicago Bulls game for somebody of my gender, it's still the same music, still the same people working Mm -hmm. there, like same arena announcer at the time. It was like, this is cool as hell. I got somebody on the Bulls, right? Mm -hmm. So I would go a bunch and they would see me around and everything. Lo and behold, like one of the rookie, I ended up having two guys on the team, Mike James and and John Lucas III, and Tibbs was the coach. Um, The rookie on the team was Jimmy, right? And he was like, the 15th man of 15th man, like he, Tibbs is, you know, his history with rookies is kind of well-versed, right? Like you give Tibbs. Oh, Emmanuel Tibbs, quickly. Emmanuel quickly says, watch out now. I started last night. Last night, right? <laughs> right? He, he's pretty damn good, right? Dude's yeah. averaging like 20 it's, points a game and now he's starting. Yeah. Man. Yeah. And it only because two other people got hurt kind of thing. Same thing with Jimmy, right? The only way he got to get hurt is like Lou had like a, a spinal tap, like, you know, the like infection. And, and um, I think Ronnie Brewer, something was going. So Jimmy gets to play, but no. So Jimmy's the rookie of all rookies on that team. And just, you know, was around him, him and Mike um, had a, uh, uh, had a relationship and background dating to uh, Mike lived in Houston, the off season where Jimmy is from. Mm-hmm. He played on Houston Rocket teams where Jimmy was like in high school kind of thing. So there was like mm-hmm. a little bit of connection there. Um, and just kind of around it. But no, like there was no way to know, you know, that that Jimmy was going to be like three years from then would be a guy that was like playing the Olympics and like, you know, the height of the player that he was or anything like that. So the thing that I've come to learn about Jimmy, like moving forward now uh, that he is to his level and I spent a bunch of time around him. Like he's a very observant person, right? So he's like evaluating things with no one really kind of knowing it. So thankfully for me, like the one thing I've kind of learned in like my business in the lane that I'm in um, is you, you got to be very mindful of the situation you're in. The fact that you don't know, again, that two degrees of separation thing, you always generally want to put your best foot forward. I'm a person that looks at in terms of what I'm doing in the league and everything like I'm literally the kid in the candy store. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's the best ever, right? Like just like when I had Mike on the bulls and I walk in and be like, Oh my God, <laughs> like that's the security guard that used to walk Michael Jordan with his car. <laughs> Still doing that. That's legit. Right. So with Jimmy, I think it just kind of came through. And then when he was, I think in maybe his like fourth or fifth year going into his last year with the bulls, um, it seemed like he was going to need some help and it just kind of, it, it came together from there. And now I think back on it, it's been maybe four and a half, five years and not a whole lot has happened. It's been pretty copacetic and smooth. So yeah, I don't, there's no stories. To Wait, tell. What do you mean? Nothing has happened. It's I had my sarcastic font on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's been, it's been pretty awesome. And yeah, here we are. Hopefully the next five years are just as smooth. <laughs> what, um, what was it specifically that he he's, he's observant and he saw 
kind of how you were with Mike and with with Luke. What was it specifically though that he saw? I think he would be like he just picked up on the fact that I'm just smarter than everybody else. You know what I mean? And it's, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, I'm looking I, smarter, <laughs> um, just worldly. <laughs> I've uh, I've never had the balls to ask, nor will I ever. And if you guys ever run into him, don't you ask either, because like I just don't want to tip the cart and while we're still riding the race. But well, he's gonna be like, "It's a good. That's a good point. What did I see? <laughs> you know I never thought maybe I should have done open casting call." <laughs> um. But no, the thing that I've learned about him is like he has this thing about uh, wanting to like empower the person you wouldn't think about necessarily, right? Like he always will build up, um, he will always build up like the the rookie on the team, you know, but not like the first round pick rookie. It'll be like the guy, like Marcus George's Hunt was the guy he was closest with in Minnesota for a long time. Like just trying to like give that person confidence and build him up and like taking satisfaction of like, kind of pushing somebody to be their best. And in some ways, you know what I mean? I, I, I feel like that's what he kind of locked in on with me. Like he, he saw um, maybe like an underlying like attribute that, that, you know, in terms of uh, the commitment that I had to Mike or just being a stand-up person, hopefully that's what I am, whatever it is, um, that kind of qualified me from that point. And then maybe in his head, you know, I want to see, see how far he could take that. And thankfully I became his Kelly Clarkson from American Idol. And here I am today. So, so, Here's a funny scenario. If the Bernie Lee of today went back in time yeah. and rep- was still representing Jimmy Butler, superstar MVP candidate, and met the Jimmy Butler back then, he probably wouldn't go with you because he'd say, oh, that guy's a big timer. He's got this MVP <laughs> guy, right? Is that, that, that what I'm hearing? You know, I don't know. Like it would, it would have to. Yeah, it's interesting that that you kind of put it like that. Like the thing that I've, I would hope that um, I've stayed consistent with is like how I was when, uh, from an agent standpoint, the way that I approach and operate in business. When I was the guy that like my guys were on like one and two year contracts, I've stayed the same. You know what I mean? Like I, I've operated from the same kind of mentality and like extend myself and all those things. But yeah, no, that's, that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting thing. If you guys know who like the next guy in their one or first or second year, that's going to be the next Jimmy two, three years from now, like when we get off of this is like, shoot me. No, no, I, I already know. So I mean, you're going to wrap them. Not, <laughs> we're not going to share the wealth. I'm sorry just, about yeah, that. Just, just let me know. I, I got this market covered. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when, um, when Jimmy Butler had the the bubble, just the run yeah. that he had, were you allowed to even go and be a part of that? Considering what your career, your life is representing this guy and you're watching him go through the biggest moment of his NBA career and you just kind of have to watch it like the rest of us? I went to the finals. So it was interesting. So I went after uh, game one. So I was there for, you know, I think it went six games. So I, I went for, I, I think it was there for like two weeks, but yeah, no, it was, it was definitely a strange experience from the standpoint. I remember sitting there the first game, he went nuts. Um, I think it was maybe game two or game three, something like that. And I remember sitting there like during the third or fourth quarter, I watched him do that so many times, but obviously never in the NBA finals. Right. And I remember thinking like, man, like this is pretty cool. And I looked around and I'm like, and I'm here with 13 of my closest friends. <laughs> like, and like my phone, like literally, I probably got 200 text messages. And you think about like 
what the energy in the building itself would have been like. Like that game would have either um, one of them that he went nuts. It would have been a home game in Miami. In the Miami. Yeah. So imagine a, a home game in Miami, twenty thousand people playing against LeBron James, and he does that. You know what I mean? So yeah, it was it was definitely like a it was definitely a, a surreal experience, and you know, in some respects, like an opportunity lost, but. You know, it's been like that for a year for everybody in some way, shape, or form, right? So I guess I can't complain about it too, too much. But yeah, it was it was interesting. The interesting thing about Jimmy is he was on. He was he said one of the most honest things I've ever heard an athlete say on TV, like on the record. He was. I don't even know if you remember this story, Bernie. He was coming on the jump, and I texted you. I said, "Oh, Jimmy's here." And I was texting with you, and you asked me who he, who was there with him. I mm-hmm. told you, you know, a couple of his boys. And we're sitting there in the room, and it's me, it's Jimmy, it's his two friends, and it's Tracy McGrady mm-hmm. and, in the green room. And we're just making small talk or whatever. And then Steven Jackson comes in, and he's got his lunch in a to-go bag. And he's telling the story, like, at 100 miles an hour about, man, and, da, 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 da. and then he turns and he looks at Jimmy. He's like, man, why do they keep fucking with you? And starts telling Jimmy about all the shit that happened to him when he was a player in the similar situation. Mm. And a lot of it was like a lot of revealing stuff from Steven. Like it wasn't like, yeah, they fucked me over. It was like, yeah, and I was kind of a dipshit and da-da-da. Mm. I deserve some of it. But you, you, da-da-da. And so Jimmy goes on set and Rachel asks him, what do you need to get better at? And this dude on TV says, I need to be, get better at being a leader because I've never been a leader before in my entire life. Yeah. I was at Juco, and then when I went to Marquette, it was DJO, and it was Wes, and all those other guys. And then I came to Chicago, and it was Lou and Joe Kim, and, and I, now I'm the guy. Mm. And I've never been in this situation before, and so I need to learn how to do this. And I was just, I've never heard a player admit, I don't know how to be a leader. In my yeah. life, even a guy who was like the 17th man, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, on a, on a less than a, and on an exhibit 10, wouldn't say that, but he did. Um, is that's not something, I don't know, it's kind of weird from the outside looking in, looking at Jimmy. He strikes you as a very confident guy, cocky, whatever. And that seemed like a really weird moment of vulnerability slash honesty. Is that who he is, or was that just that we catch him on a good day? No, that's, that's it every day, you know? But the thing I would tell you, too, is, like, and you've been around it a bunch. I've noticed that, like, outside of, like, a handful of guys, that's every NBA guy that gets to that level. Like, you hope it, you want it, you get drafted, you walk in for your press conference, you look at the building, you think, like, man, I want to have my jersey retired, or I want to be a Hall of Famer. And then reality sets in, you think to yourself, I just want to be in the rotation, or I want a second contract, or whatever, right? Um when guys get to like that level where suddenly like there's a bunch of expectation on what you do on a day-to-day basis, like way really matters. You got to be the one that is going to have to stand up and do media every day. You have to be the one that we're going to hold you accountable. You don't, you can't have these like poor moments. Um, we just assume that these guys like know how to do it. Right. Because it's supposed to be really easy. Like in terms of like what you're saying, the, the best example I ever got, and it came in the craziest circumstance I ever watched somebody do, was Allen Iverson. So uh, that year that Mike went nuts in, in Toronto, 2005, they play against uh, Philadelphia. 
uh, Mike had like 36 points. After that game, it's Toronto. Like, I, I don't know if you guys know the reputation of Toronto, but like Toronto's not like a wolf flower city. Hopefully I'm not mm. too much. At the time I was like 27, so I participated to a not, high degree. Not my Toronto. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's there. So I remember we go out and uh, we go to dinner and then we go out out. First person we run into, Allen Iverson, right? And Allen Iverson, it was like almost like Allen Iverson standing like in the club with one. And I've seen him a bunch of other times now. It's always like the same things. So it almost looks like the Dave Chappelle skit with like Rick James. And he's just like in the middle, like twirling. That's how you always see Allen Iverson. Like in a club. It's the best thing ever, right? So I remember thinking like, oh man, Allen Iverson is cool as hell, right? So we go over, like we were talking to him, whatever. Allen, loud music, whatever, drinking. Alan Iverson like pulls Mike aside and he's like, Hey, he's like, I'm going to tell you something that I learned about the NBA. And he's like, cause you're starting to get to that point where you're the leader of your team. He was like, the one thing I wish somebody had told me when I was young in my career that I could never figure out about being a leader was the fact that when you're the leader of the team, all the young guys are always watching. you. So whatever mm. you do, they're going to mm. do. You always have to be on and you can never be off and it's a burden. And he was like, I wish somebody had told me that really early in my career. And I'm standing there listening to Alan Ivers say this. I'm like, that's the most genius thing I've ever heard. And he's holding three bottles of champagne with the four <laughs> sitting next to him. Right. Like, so he knew it, but it wasn't like in practice. My, my bet has been made. <laughs> right. Like, and it was like, it, it, that stayed with me literally. That was 15 years ago. I think about that like all the time. And it's the same thing with Jimmy. I remember his last year in Chicago was where he was kind of, starting to make that transition where they were trying to keep him pigeonholed in the standpoint of like, Hey, it's little Jimmy from Marquette. He's the 30th pick where the rest of the league in the world saw was like, Hey, you're one of the best players in the league, you know? And they would say things like, well, he's changed. He's this or whatever. Like no shit. Like he went from, you draft him when he was 22 years old. He's now 26. That's, that's changed right there. He went from being the 15th guy in your roster to the number one. And then some that's changed. He has to stand up and talk to media every single day, whereas before he only did it in media day so you could film a three-second blurb for the intro video. Like, that's changed. Of course he's going to change, right? And he was doing what you're talking about, like trying to figure out what is the thing that I have to do on a date? What does each person on this group need from me uh, to be able to be their best? And somebody in Miami, one of the reporters asked me about it last year heading into the playoffs, and I was like, the thing that I've learned about him is like, he's, he's a puzzle person. He really likes like puzzles and like, you know, like Sudoku's things like that, like mm-hmm. trying to figure things out. And a team to him is like a reflection of that. If you ever watch him play a game, majority of his scoring doesn't happen until the third and fourth quarter. Like he doesn't really shoot the ball a whole lot in the first and second quarter. And honestly, like I started trying to figure out like how and why it was doing, he was doing this and it was, if it was purposeful. And the thing that I realized with him is like, he'll read the game from a standpoint of like what the other team wants to do, but also who on his team is trying to do something that might be different. Cause he's not going to change what they're doing, but he's going to know how to work around it. Right. And it's such like a neat thing. Like say they go play in like Milwaukee, he's going to spend the first five, six possessions of the game kind of seeing where uh, Tyler Hero who's from Milwaukee is at, you know what I mean? Like when he, And I remember he was the one that told me the story. Like when Tyler was a senior in high school, I guess he was supposed to go to Wisconsin and then John Calipari called and he was like, oh, sorry, Wisconsin, like all of us would, right? (laughs) Uh, But I guess he took a lot of shit for that, right? 
So now when he's in the NBA, they go back and play there, you know, you're going to get a different version of Tyler in those moments, right? As you should, right? So he'll kind of like figure those things out and figure like, okay, what's the thing that's going to be needed for me? They're going to do whatever they're going to do. How do I fill in the gaps to make sure my team wins this game? Right. It's, it's a really he's very neat. thoughtful. Like, like he's just, he's just thinking chess yeah. moves ahead where. Yeah. Cause he, he also knows like he, he probably is not going to, I, I say to people a bunch and like, I might sound like I'm blown smoke or his agent or whatever, but he could literally lead the NBA in scoring if that was his goal. Right. If his goal was like, Hey, just go out and score a bunch of points. But I think he knows like one, it would be pretty hard to score enough to be able to win at the level that he does. And it would be physically taxing. You know, it's hard to play 75 games a year, 80 games a year where, you know, you're trying to score kind of at that clip. So it's like, how do I balance myself, get everybody else to help me? You know what I mean? And then we all kind of have success. Like his ability to kind of figure out like that balance of winning is is the thing that I've noticed about him. That's pretty I've been struck by how much he gives his teammates flowers, not literally, but figuratively, like how much he really cares about building up his teammates. Cause the rep that I think the media ran with in Minnesota and Chicago is that he blows up the locker room and he's a a bully and like, and, and then the opposite I'm seeing in Miami, which is he like, it just seems like he wants to see Tyler and Duncan and bam, bam, all these guys on the same level as him. And I, I didn't, I, I don't know if that was the media's fault or whether that's just Jimmy um, just developing as a leader. I mean, it was always nonsensical, right? Because like the one thing I've noticed about like great, like true greatness in the NBA, they totally understand they're not in competition with anybody else. You know what I mean? It's like you're running an individual race on a treadmill, right? And because if I'm great and you're great, it doesn't make me less great because you're a little bit better it means we're both great right like it's pretty awesome right and like with him like i've noticed the same thing like a story that i tell sometimes with him uh when he was in uh minnesota and uh like whatever was happening through training camp and he wasn't like participating whatever he was getting up and I, there were a couple of times i was with him and he would go play pickup at lifetime at like seven o'clock in the morning right nobody even know he was coming whatever he's just trying to play with other moving bodies thinking like at some point i'm gonna have to go back so he'd go play pickup with like these guys that were like school teachers and factory workers. You know, if you're going to go play pickup at a lifetime in Minnesota at seven, you have a commitment to basketball. You must have some kind of background. You might not be able to do it very well, but you, you played for a little bit, right? So when we would play, it would be me, his cousin, his brother, so four of us. And then he would always pick one random person to have it be our fifth, right? And then we would go in these games and then he would make the, whoever the fifth guy was he would make that guy score the 11 points for us to win the games. Always. Right? <laughs> like purposely like, come on, Greg, come off that pin down. Like, like all this like stuff. Right. He would set screens for him, pass him to like literally spoon feed whoever this person would be. And I remember one of them was this guy, Greg, we won three games in a row. And you could tell this dude was like trying to live up to Jimmy, like, breathing fire down his neck because he didn't want to let down his hero but in the same respect like oh my god this is a lot of work right so we played three games in a row uh jimmy like had to take break whatever so our team sits i remember i'm sitting next to greg right on the side and we're watching these two other teams play and he turns to me and he's like man i wish uh i had known i was gonna be playing with jimmy butler this morning i wanted to drink those eight beers last night nice. <laughs> Jimmy literally just made this guy score 33 points, like 11, 11 point games. He scored all of our points because Jimmy made him, right? 
and it's a reflection of, you know, this, the way he plays in an NBA game. Like he, he'll pick it and, you know, in, until he has this moment where it's like, okay, it's winning time. So like you look at last season, totally reflection of that. They get to the finals and you're that close to the goal. It's like, okay, I'm going to do this now, you know, like, and he just, he chooses the ability to do that, which is pretty unique. Who are his teammates? I mean, I have to assume they're aware, right? They're aware that Jimmy is going to play this way on purpose to defer and let someone else kind of do the bulk of the scoring until it's needed. How does, how does, I mean, I guess, how does that play in a locker room? That's the thing that makes Miami so awesome. Like, there's never like any, everybody's cool. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, they just kind of, there's no, there's no competition. There's no alpha. There's no anything like that. It's like, he's him and we'll help him, you know, which is cool. You don't see that a lot, like in the NBA, right? Like the example I tell from this year is like, there was a game. So Max Struess is a, is a two way. I remember he, Max kind of looks like the, the PR guy in, uh, in, um, uh, Miami, Michael Lissack looks like Lissack, he's, yeah. Mike Lissack, yeah. he's like his older brother. Right. So I remember <laughs> seen Max. Max is awesome. I'm, I don't mean to be disparaging for him at all. He's actually a really good player. But I remember seeing him in the preseason. I had never seen it before. And I texted, I was like, man, they let Lissack play in the game. Like, really, <laughs> you're like going through this preseason, right? So there was a game, I think it was like New Orleans or something. Um, Max had 21 points, like played his butt off. I didn't yeah. see the box score until after. So I looked at the box score after. He had 21 points, zero assists, zero rebounds, zero steals, zero. Seven made threes. Just, just shoot the ball. That's all I need <laughs> you to do, right? Like, Run to that spot. When I put the ball in your hands, just throw to the basket. If you miss, I'll go get it. We'll do it again, right? And it's like that kind of example. You know what I mean? Like you empower people to do the thing that they're really, really good at, and I'll kind of figure out all the edges. You know. So, mean uh, we talked a lot about Jimmy Butler here with uh, with Bernie Lee, but on Wednesday nights every week, we can take questions from the audience on the Stereo app. Um, yeah. Every Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, we'll be doing a live podcast and answering questions you might have had with Bernie Lee or things you wanted to ask us um, during the live listen of this podcast on the Stereo app. We do it every Wednesday at 9 p.m. Yeah, I'm glad. Uh, what time did you say we do it and which day? Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad Bernie came on. Bernie's always got great stories, and he's a guy that I think, uh, you know, doesn't really seek uh, a lot of attention out there. And so he doesn't do many of these types of opportunities. And I, I'm assuming the listeners, a lot of them, that's their first time hearing from Bernie Lee, hearing from the guy that represents Jimmy Butler, one of the more kind of caustic superstars in the NBA. And I, I'm thrilled to hear their questions, what extra questions they might have. Because tell you what, this is what we're going to do, Tom. I'm going to exploit my friendship with Brent Bernie in this way. You guys come on to the stereo app tomorrow. Wednesday, or come on to the stereo app Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. Submit your questions via voice note. Follow me at Darth Amin. Follow Tom at Haberstro. Haberstro. And if you guys have questions for Bernie, I'm going to text Bernie those questions. And try and get an answer. You just flexed. I just flexed. I'm gonna. But I, I, I flexed in not just a kind of generic way. I flexed in a very specific way, a way that is helpful to the fans, to the listeners. 
I, I could say, oh, yeah, I know Bernie. I could text him anytime. I'm like, no, no, no. I will text him your questions, and we'll get responses, and I'll get answers to those questions. So Every Wednesday night, we watch the end of the first. Well, not everyone's in. Let me just be clear as, as I wrap up that point. This Wednesday, when you're listening to this podcast, Wednesday, March 17th, St. Patty's Day, get in there, get on the stereo app, follow me, follow Tom, submit your questions for us, submit your questions in general, submit your questions to Bernie Lee, and I will pass it along. Yeah, you should pr- probably make it your Wednesday ritual. Wednesday night, 9 p.m., watch the first national game on ESPN or whatever game you're watching on League Pass. Join us, 9 p.m. The first game is usually ending around that time or the next game, and we'll take you into the next game at 10.30. So um, every Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern on the Stereo app. Follow at Darth Amin. Ask us questions. Follow me at Haverstro, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you then. So, Bernie, you mentioned the whole – the lifetime pickup game with the random guy who felt like he was, you know, Michael Jordan that day because of Jimmy. Um, so can you tell me whether you were the mastermind behind the October 10th, uh, 2018 practice Jimmy Butler thing? Like how the, the whole Rachel Nichols interview, were you an, a mastermind? Like the guy in inspector gadget, you know, uh, Dr. Yeah, Doc Claw, just like, I know how this is all going to work. It's seeing the weirdo and the marketing guru behind me right now. <laughs> no, no, the weirdo in the raincoat is Inspector Gadget. The other oh, guy. Oh, okay. Okay. The chair with the, <laughs> yeah. The really bad sore throat. All <laughs> um, no, I, I would say that wasn't as orchestrated as it kind of came off, you know, like, uh, the interview with Rachel was, was set up to obviously be that time, like, she had to fly and everything. Everything yeah. that happened before that, it wasn't planned to be that way. Like that was going to be uh, Jimmy's first practice back, uh, and I think he had a plan for the practice that he didn't really like share with anybody. <laughs> the part about it that like um, that was unique was uh, there was no way for us to know that somebody within Minnesota's bubble was going to like live tweet it through Woj. Like I, that part never made any sense to me because like. You would think it, it like it came from us, right? Because obviously it was a, like a moment that kind of like solidified everything Jimmy was kind of saying. But if you were one of the people that was this was being done to, would you tell everybody? <laughs> like I don't, I never understood that, right? And we, I had nothing to do with it. I told everybody, like I, you know, I'm not a dishonest person, but I lied through my teeth and told everybody, like, no, he's not practicing today. Right. Cause I just didn't, I just wanted him to be able to go about and do his work. I told three different like national big time reporters, like, no, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. He's not even in Minnesota. Right. And uh, so I never understood why like somebody else that was on that group that that team said like, Hey, this is what this guy came in and did to us today. Like I, that part was odd. <laughs> Bernie, I guess this is my question going off of that. Is that indicative that organizationally, Everyone knew Jimmy was right, but they just couldn't come out and like co-sign it. So they kind of passive aggressive their passive aggressive way of saying he's got a point. Yeah, no, with that question. Like I, I think like when everybody like heard about that after they wanted to be like this harsh reaction to it, right? But the one person who had no issue with it was was Tibbs, right? Because that's a competitive environment he was like trying to grow. So they would ask him about this practice and want him to be like this sign that somehow he had lost control, or whatever. He loved it. Like he loved it from the standpoint yeah. of that's what competing is, right? Like he has this thing 
that he says all the time, like everything matters, like every little thing matters, right? So this is like, you know, the eighth or ninth, like training camp practice, like, you know, eight to nine days in or whatever. And they went at it, like they were getting ready, like for the finals. And it wasn't a slight on like anybody, like any of the other young guys or whatever, like that wasn't necessarily the issue. Is this more like, I think in some ways, like developing like a sense of urgency beyond like a, a revelation of like a lack of skill level or who was this or who was that? Because like talent obviously is there, right? Like the talent is there and any starter in the NBA obviously is a very talented person. So what's a separator? Separator is like all those intangible things, you know? And like they used to say to him a lot in Minnesota, it was like, you can, um, your, your job is to show these guys those intangible things, right? You can try that as much as you want. And like, and as you know, like as like a basketball person, like some people, um naturally lead the horse to water but you, you yeah. can't really make him drink right yeah it was it was yeah one of those kinds of things so like it was indicative of the organization like the the people in that organization that knew what winning looked like they had no issue with it like they loved it like Tibbs would let them play like another hour <laughs> you know what I mean like it, it was weird to me though that it got out like that didn't help anybody that didn't that didn't well that didn't, I mean but no it, i i never understood like why they did that because it was like somebody within the group that was like the other side of it like that's your job in that role i always said like your job is to put you to the side and like try and help group and organization you putting that out that 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 runs counter to what i think you should be doing and that was one of the main issues with that that place you know so, Bernie, you've you've represented players across the spectrum of organizations, from first class yeah. to kind of the team that's missed the playoffs to like two collective bargaining agreements. When people talk about the Miami Heat being a first class organization, being someone who's interacted with all these different teams on one level or another, can you articulate what that means? for for Miami to be a quote-unquote first-class organization? Uh, you know, I've, I've thought a lot about this, like being able to like watch them, you know, like what's the thing, right? And right. one, like from jump, right? Obviously it's Pat Riley, right? Like mm -hmm. you sit and you talk to him, you understand, um, you're you're talking to a foundational like kind of NBA person, like lifer and all those things, but all the stuff that happens on a day-to-day -day basis it's reflective of him, but it doesn't always involve him. It's everybody else has like kind of figured out their lanes and roles. So the thing that I figured out with Miami is like, they're different than a lot of NBA organizations in that nobody within that building feels like they're in competition with each other, which is not mm -hmm. like common in the NBA. Right. So right. in the NBA, like say you work for another organization, there's somebody on your team, like that's like the third assistant that all of a sudden, like they get promoted or they get a title change or more money, or they go get a job in another organization, if you're that person that was above them, um, you think to yourself, like, well, how did that happen? Like, what's the opportunity that I missed? What do I have to do differently? Now you get people, like, start working and, and kind of acting out of sorts and out of lanes. The thing that I've realized in in Miami is they fostered, like, a, like almost like a culture. They say culture a lot, and I don't, I don't like saying it, too, because it feels like I'm drinking the juice with them. But <laughs> they have. They fostered this culture where people generally realize that they're appreciated and the the grade of whether they're good or bad at their jobs can be graded with how the organization does, right? So when something mm -hmm. goes bad, nobody points a finger. When something goes good, nobody really feels the need to be like, oh my God, like Shane Batty is the guy that scouted that guy at the right. last shootout. 
right? Like nobody cares. Like it's just, it helped the organization. So I, I think that their, their biggest thing is like, they just, they fostered on like an individual level, like people all kind of working for the collective, if that makes sense. Do you have a Pat Riley story of you call yourself a kid in a candy store, just how lucky you are to be in this basketball world. But is there a moment where you were in the same room with Pat Riley and you were just like, man, this guy's amazing. Cause he's one of the best storytellers, like period in the NBA. Like when he does a media press conference, like everyone reporters, everyone in the room is silent and just, keep talking, Pat, like, th- like everyone just gathers around and, and, and listens to him. He's an amazing storyteller. Yeah, no, I, I would tell you like, look, I don't want to tip my hand because like I got to do a bunch more like stuff with him. I don't want him to know like totally I'm a fanboy. So it's <laughs> <laughs> my leverage as an agent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, like dude is, he's the best. Like he's, he's just, he's the best. Like, He'll do like little things though that you you get like you tried to act like this wasn't on purpose, but this clearly is on purpose, Pat. So I don't know if you've ever watched uh, Thirty Rock. So if you ever watched show Thirty Rock, remember uh, Donahue would set these things up like these power moments from Jack Welsh's book of like how to do like a negotiation. So you walk into his office, and on the other side of his desk, there's no chairs there, so you got to like sit and be like, <laughs> so it throws you off your game a little bit. Or like if you do sit in chairs, like one will be way higher and way lower. Like how we'll do stuff like that, right? And you're like, okay, look, man, like I get it, right? Like every time you walk into his office, there's never a light on. It's always like dark, right? <laughs> and this is him sitting behind his desk and the pictures behind the desk are like the Smithsonian. It's like a picture of him and Ronald Reagan. Are you going like, to turn on that? Are you going to turn on the light or are we just going to sit here in I, the dark? You're just looking around like, is there even switches in here? Like, what's going on, right? Like, AC Green just parked my car. Like, what? Like, what's, what are we doing, right? Like, you guys from Canada, somehow Mike Schmirk would, like, met me in the hotel. Like, it's just, there's levels to this, right? So he'll do little stuff like that. But no, he's, like, he's he's awesome. You know what I mean? And he's, he's awesome to talk about, like, the basketball stuff. He's awesome to talk about, like, everything else. The other thing that's, like, this is the last thing I'm going to say because I I think he's pretty private too. Like he does, but when he texts you, like he he he's a person that texts mostly in emojis, and it's, it's yeah. Pretty- I've heard this story before. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that he, he texts a lot of emojis. That's his. That's, that's how he gets down. It's it's pretty awesome. <laughs> is it I think like, this is a generational thing because yeah. Is is it a standard kind of like laughing, crying, or like thumbs up, or is it like the gang sign language where you got to decipher what does this mean? An egg, a full moon, and a explosion. So there was it. And again, I, I don't want to reveal like too too much. So just like those viral and be like, I don't know, they hacked me. I didn't know I was being filmed, but. Uh, <laughs> So there was a running joke with their group. Uh, DM waiters, for the most part, would only like text and emojis, and you'd have to like kind of decipher like the, the Da Vinci Code kind of thing like right. that. And it, the two of them were, were kind of both fit. <laughs> wow! <laughs> like they texted, in, yeah, in the same way. Yeah. Greg Popovich apparently texts with emojis too. Uh, James Borrego was on this show, and he was like, "Yeah, um, Pop actually uses emojis and texts. He's up in his game." And I'm sitting here being like, "Man, hold on." He said Pop uses emojis, not like the the code. Like, we, we were reveling that, oh, Pop knows what an emoji is. Meanwhile, Pat you Riley... Think heard- it was amazing that somebody said Pop even used the cell phone? Like, right. come on. Yes. Have, I was, like, said- stunned. And, he right? and like, maybe he'll, like, throw in a thumbs up every once in a while. Like, yeah. or, or uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know if he's using the crying emoji um, after a joke, I'm right? telling you. Yeah. 
I've heard Pat's out here like throwing triangle, oh, he's uh, yeah. you know, uh, priest and yeah. uh, a, a zombie coming out of the grave. I'm like, wait, what? What is that yeah. supposed to? Be? I just asked what time practice is, Coach. Yeah, no, he's he's yeah, he's on it. So uh, while, while we're here, I, I want to do some Paul Bunyan true or false with Jimmy oh, Butler that you can uh, that you can verify whether it's true or false. Because mm-hmm. um, Amin's yelling at me before the show. He's like, are you really going to go with – do you really think he does this? And, I'm, and now that I have him here, might as well ask you. Um, true or false, uh, Jimmy Butler drives a minivan. Yeah, no, he definitely, he definitely does that. Yeah. It, 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 it's uh, – it's got a like a baby on board sticker on the back too, so it's <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. He does have a baby on board. Yeah, is this your sarcasm font right here? No, no, no. He definitely, he definitely. I actually, I was dumbing myself down because I almost said what kind it is. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, he, he drives a minivan. Does he put like the little uh, stick figure families on the back too? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that literally happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's not his fall. only card. Oh, hold on. Let's like, what I put out. Like, people make it to like Jimmy Butler is going to practice. He's going to the all game day, all in his minivan. That's not his only car. I don't know. I haven't asked the name. What's the next question? Did he sleep on the couch in his hotel room in the bubble? I read that somewhere. That yeah. in the bubble, Jimmy Butler would sleep on the couch rather than in the bed. Yeah, no, always. He, um, it was kind of like more in-depth story to that, but no, he he definitely does that. So remember, I, I think a lot of NBA players is if you watch the last dance, remember the scene they're showing Michael Jordan in his hotel room watching soap operas, like yeah. with the landline phone on the couch. Yeah, like, he had like the brunch spread right right there. Like, four seasons probably still has the same furniture. If you've ever been in like four seasons hotel or whatever, if you get a suite, like you're gonna have like the same setup. But no, he, he definitely he definitely does that. There was one game where uh, um I think it was in the Milwaukee series where like a shoulder was bugging him and he, he basically had to play with one arm, but it, it was like kind of like a blow game. So he didn't have to play too, too much in the fourth quarter. He, he slept funny on the couch was the issue. Um, and it, 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 yeah, it bugged his shoulder, but no, he, he definitely does that. Is the whole, I love country music thing an act. No, no, not yeah, at all. That part's it, real. Yeah. That, that, that what, part the other real. two weren't real. I mean, no, I, no, no. I like. I feel like he like. And then like, who's there to make sure that he's sleeping on the couch? So you know? how, how about this though? You talk about the country music stuff. So when they were playing the Celtics in the uh, in the, in the playoffs, so in the bubble, right? So when they would do like pregame warmups, whatever, I would have like coaches from the Celtics texting me because when he would come out to do his warm up on the other side of the court, they would change the music for him. And the Celtic, the he was beating like the piss out of them, right? And they were kind of angry that they were about to go home. So the, their coaches would be texting me and be like, only like in the NBA will we purposely play country music just for this guy. Like, what's, like <laughs> who I got to talk to? Like, it was like salt on the wound, basically, right? Like, we're not only we getting our ass kicked, but we got to listen to George Strait as we're trying to get like <laughs> sending over Like, they were pissed. <laughs> Yeah, like I, I remember in Miami, um, this wasn't when, when he was with the Heat, but he was in the vitter, visitor's locker room. Like all the media comes in after a game and, it, and the guys are showering. And I like there, he had like a speaker at his visitor locker room that was blasting country music. And he yeah. was in the bathroom showering and screaming the lyrics. Like it wasn't just like he was trying to disarm the media or it was an act. It was like 
He was, he knew every lyric to the song and he was literally singing in the shower and it was was, a visitor's locker. He set up the speaker. Was it Conway (laughs) Twitty? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it it was not an Andy Kaufman bit, but it was, when I was, when I was sitting here, I, my wife's from Kentucky. So I know a little bit of country music. This was like, you had to know country music to know these these songs or this playlist yeah, no, they, that's yeah no that's 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 a that's a real thing for sure for sure for sure um did he get asked to be in the all-star game but declined so that he wouldn't be with bam out of bio or he, uh-huh. he didn't want to go to the all-star game because bam out of bio wasn't asked i don't know i don't remember you talking about last year the, he said he, this he year th- this year he's talking about this year right now in atlanta he was asked to be an all star, but he declined it because Bam wasn't an all star. <laughs> <laughs> These motherfuckers, man. You talking about this shit? <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, it was a couple of weeks ago. Bernie, you're an NBA agent. Like you should under you should know what's happening here. I was watching some college games. No, I don't know. I'll have to ask. Wow. Okay. Um, I hate this guy, so. <laughs> uh, did he actually charge ten dollars for a coffee? In Twenty. The- <laughs> yeah, it was, it was funny. It was on purpose. Have you ever bought coffee from Jimmy Butler? Yeah, he, he makes everybody pay. The only person that doesn't pay is Goran Dragic. This guy. Is it good? It's actually really good. Yeah, oddly enough. Is it I mean, $20, look, $20 good? I probably wouldn't look back at him and be like, oh, this is piss, right? Like, I, I know my role, right? But no, I'd actually... <laughs> yeah. Um, is there an actual company being born out of this uh, Big Face Coffee? Like, is, there, is yeah. that a real thing? Yeah, already done. Yeah. Can you tell us more about that? I'm curious. Yeah, no, it's going to be called uh, Big Face uh, Coffee Company. Uh, they uh, partnered with a, like a bean producer. Like, it opened up this whole world that I didn't know existed of, like, coffee world. Like, any t- I'm a coffee drinker. You apparently are a coffee drinker, too. Every time you drink coffee, just know there's a whole, like, underbelly to whatever put that coffee in your cup that you would blow your mind, right? So once you start doing that and it gained traction, like, every coffee um, – Everybody basically knew where to get a coffee bean from, like email in the course of like a month or something like that, right? So he, uh, yeah, he he's put it together and and uh, um, it's gonna uh, probably start, I would say, in like next month or two in terms of like actually being able to get the beans merged and all that kind of stuff. But no, he's he's pretty excited about that. That's his baby. I mean, do you have any Jimmy Butler details that you want to confirm with Bernie here? Because he's been so truthful. I got one. Okay, let's let's talk about this, bro. You're you're the analytics guy, okay? Yeah, yeah. He definitely is is MVP, right? Tell me, <laughs> the, I, like, I don't, don't remember what what is what is the MVP? I don't know what that yeah. that award is. I'm what playing, does that stand for? Yeah, is that most valuable get, player? Well, hold on. I mean, they give that every they give really, that every year, right? Really, like really, really good, right? Yeah, they get that every year, right? Let, they, are they doing, it, are they doing it this year? Because I, I have my like, I have my thing that I want to shovel and the point that I want to make. But yeah, tell tell me why he wouldn't be. He's only played twenty five of the Heat's thirty nine games. Okay, That's the only argument you need. And the, actually, that argument that you just made, I'm with you. It actually frames and strengthens his argument, right? Because what happened during the time that, even from like point differential standpoint, all that stuff. Uh, with those fourteen games didn't go very well. And wins and losses, put that to the side, right? Because that's okay. like an arbitrary thing. And, I, and again, okay. I'm not trying to, but I'm talking about like... COVID, COVID. 
right? I'm talking about like the, you know, um, points per 100 possession, the defensive range, everything, like everything is glaring, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He's 95th percentile on both ends of the floor, um, offense and defense, which you can't say for, I think there's only two other players in the NBA. So let me, let me put it to you in this, in this context, because obviously performance wise, no one's arguing performance wise, you know, he's been fantastic. And obviously his performance has led directly to team success, but in the history of the NBA, there's only been one guy who played like not a significant portion of the season and won MVP. And that was Bill Walton in 78. Okay. I'm with games. So I was born in 1978. So I don't like totally remember, but just <laughs> me if, if I'm wrong. Okay. Did that season happen during a pandemic? No, I don't think no. it did. No. Did most like teams not suffer like in terms of like play games lost to injury, sickness, whatever it was, did that happen at the degree that it's happening now? Or he played in San Diego, so maybe it happened. But did they play in empty arenas? Yeah, they might have back then. Like (laughs) it's it's in the seventies. My point is, like, we're judging it in a historical context, but totally out of context, right? I'm, I'm, I'm one of the people who really feels like the whole it happened during a pandemic thing isn't isn't a strong enough argument because every it's not like you're the only ones playing in a pandemic. Like everybody is. So, you know, it's like when people say, is the Lakers, LeBron, is this the hardest championship ever in the history? And I'm like, no, because someone had to win it and we're all playing in a pandemic. So it's a level playing field from that standpoint. It's not like it impacted one team and nobody else. In 1994, the Zambian soccer team uh, crashed. There was a plane crash and like all but three players who missed that flight died. And the three players who missed the flight were like the best player, uh, this guy named Kalusha and the goalkeeper and then like a, a sub and then that team ended up going all the way to like the Africa Cup final mm-hmm. um, and it was a big like Cinderella story like, had they won that would have been the greatest one ever why because their team died while everybody else <laughs> yeah. brought their squad mm-hmm. but in, a, in the context of a pandemic everybody's going through it so I don't I don't give extra brownie points for that I don't, I don't okay, see so, it. I mean, one, I'm going to say you used a very extreme uh, example. Yes, that's <laughs> what I do. That's what I do. I push back to you. Like, hey, I really wish Zambia had won that game, and I, I can't believe that happened, right? I just want to preface what I'm about to say with that. But what my point is, is what we should be doing, instead of judging like a totality of work, it's like an individual thing, right? Because it is happening in a pandemic. And, you know, if a person like, by the end of the season, let's say Miami plays – somewhere around 72 games, right? Mm-hmm. If I think uh, Miami now has 31 or 32 left on the schedule. If he plays those, uh, it'll put him somewhere around essentially playing two-thirds of the season, right? Mm-hmm. There had to have been, like, guys that have been significant MVP guys that have played two-thirds of season for yes. whatever Right? If he now, if he keeps this up, like if if there's yeah, only yeah. 14 games of the team's games that no, he misses, I, I don't want to jinx myself. But yes, that's that's the argument that I'm making here. Even with, like the argument they made with him uh, in terms of like the All Star and everything, it, it made no sense to me because it was like it, it's you can't say that he's not that. You know what I mean? Like I just it, I didn't I didn't understand that. But, no, but no, I, what? So so back to like on this ping pong game. If yeah. you talk about someone who's played two thirds of a season, 
yeah. and one MVP, there's one name on that list. It's Bill Walton. And a lot of people point to that as like a bogus ass MVP award. He shouldn't have won it. A lot really? of people. Yeah. A lot of people say a lot of people say it was just like it was the um, the media really wanting a like a at a time when you don't have to say super- don't don't get fired to me. Don't say <laughs> it. I don't got fired. Who's I'm not employed by anybody. <laughs> <I'm>, uh, <laughs> no, I, I is, give me a second. Is Tom going to fire me? <laughs> so I, I guess the argument comes back to what what is an MVP? Is it the best player in the league? Is the best biggest numbers, right. or is it the person that actually impacts a specific group in the largest way to have the highest level of success? Right. I, so I, to me, like the MVP, that definition can change, but the one those constants for me are: I'm judging you on the one part that is concrete is 2020, 2021. It's the year. I'm not rewarding you for what no, you no, did no, in the bubble. I'm not, some people do this, right? They they either project forward. Luca's great now. He's gonna be even greater later. But let me get ahead of the game yeah, and yeah, make yeah. MVP now. Some people do the the retrospective thing. Well, LeBron, he's 18. I don't care how old he is. I'm just saying, what did he do this season? So that's my one concrete. And my, my annoying other, thing, the annoying thing for me is, I mean, when they go like LeBron can guard one through five, and I'm like, that's great. But yeah, but you got to do it. You got to do you it for it 82 can't be games. Like, or, oh, he's going to do it in the playoffs. Like, cool. Well, that has nothing to do with my MVP vote. So, yeah. so that's one thing I say. Are you, you know, is did it happen this year? Are you doing it? Not could you do it, but are you doing it? And then third, like I give credit more. I give more credit, I should say, to the guys who do it continuously throughout the year so being available sadly is part of my my personal voting equation like the availability um and also for some guys so like there was that year when Giannis and and Harden was the big thing Mm -hmm. like Giannis from like opening tip to like last whistle last buzzer was like excellent Harden started the year not so excellent then had a crazy peak and then kind of like mellowed out for me it turned into if Giannis keeps playing steady, my vote's going to be Giannis because he never had a dip. He stayed, he was available, and he, and, uh, and he was excellent the whole way through, whereas Harden kind of had an up and down. And so that's kind of my personal vote. I understand everyone else has their, their different one, but to me, the only concrete part we can all agree to is when did it happen and did he actually do it? So you were in Phoenix when, when Steve won MVP, right? And nobody outside of... But- Phoenix understood really why this dude, you couldn't even make right. the argument why he wouldn't be MVP, right? Like you guys all knew better than anybody else. Nobody could tell you different, right? No. Right? Yep. So why the MVP? Because he played 79 games. Let's start with that one. He played, he played, he played, he played like 70. How do you miss yeah. more than that? Okay. No, <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy when you but look at everybody like, better, right? He wouldn't necessarily. Oh, he always. Oh, that's what, you're not getting an argument from me about how good Jimmy is. Like yeah. I get it. I believe me. I'm. I'm. I'm part of the choir when it comes to how good he is. I remember when he demanded to trade. You know when y'all got him to Philadelphia, and I went on Levitard, and Levitard was like, "Who the hell is Jimmy Butler to demand a trade?" Like, oh, any everybody's asking for trades now. I'm like, no, 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 no. This guy's one of the best players in the league. Well, then I'm like, this is un- in. Not even an argument. Like yeah. you look at him, all NBA, all star, all defensive team, the stuff he does. And I said he's a winner. And Dan was like, "What has he ever won?" I said, "That's the thing that a lot of people outside the game get misconstrued. That winner means all like, here's my trophy case, right? Yeah. Or that he came to Miami because he wants to be part of a winning environment because they're about to win a championship. Like that's not what winner means. Winner means yeah. 
kind of what you were talking about earlier about Miami and, and, and also Jimmy, it's like, do you do the things that are necessary and required for success, right? Do you yeah. follow the process, so to speak? If you do, like, that, that's what being a winner is. It's like the people who don't give a shit about who got credit for scouting that guy or whatever. That's yeah. winning mentality. Yeah. And so I, I'm 100, I get, you're not going to hear a, an argument for me against his impact. What you're hearing is an argument against, the motherfucker missed 15 games or 14 games or whatever it was. And that puts him behind everybody else. He's yeah. missed. He's missed. So, so Nikola Jokic, who might be the, the leading favorite for MVP this year, you think he has so? 14. I'm just saying, just oh. as an example, he has 1400 minutes this season. He did okay. what now? Nikola Jokic. Yeah. Has 1400 minutes played this season. And Jimmy Butler has 834. The difference oh. is almost 600 minutes between Jimmy Butler and Nikola Jokic. That well, matters. It doesn't mean it disqualifies Jimmy Butler, but that matters, right? But, but the 600 minutes you're talking about for Nikola, I think he's awesome, whatever. Those are 600 minutes he took off playing no defense, right? Like, they're not, like, what are we talking about here? Like, if you want, like, from somebody else's standpoint, like, playing two ends and, like, doing all these things, like, you know, like, numbers are awesome. If it's a... a, a if, if it's a reward of strictly numbers, I'm with you, right? But that's not it. I, I, I personally don't think that's what it is. All right. Just because it seems like I'm on the other side of the uh, aisle here. Um, Jimmy Butler's plus minus this season or the, the Miami Heat's plus minus this season when Jimmy Butler is on the floor. Okay. So we're just looking at on the floor. We're not talking about the games that he didn't play or the games he did play. I'm talking about in the games when he's on the floor the Miami Heat are plus, let's see, plus 120. And when Jimmy Butler's off the floor, it's minus 153. And I know what you're going to say. It's like, there it is. That's value. That also throws the rest of his teammates under the bus that they can't play any, they forget how to play basketball when Jimmy Butler's on the floor, right? He makes them a whole lot better when he is on the floor. You know what I mean? Like, and think about what <laughs> He plays 34 minutes a game, right? So that 150 comes in 12 minutes, the plus whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, the one that jumps out to me, okay, is the, uh, uh, is the point differential line. And the difference between off and on, it's like plus 16. So, like, for me, the Golden State Warriors, the year they won 73 games, they were a plus 12. Like, that's like a, a historic team. Like, he does that over the course of, a plus 16, like yeah. anything over plus five is 50 wins. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's tripling that. Like it's, it's yeah, it's, it's pretty good. <laughs> his clutch, his clutchness um, is unbelievable. When he got traded to Philly, I did a big number about his ability to hit big shots. Um, yeah. And it was, he was the most clutch player in the NBA by win probability added. So when the game is tight, he raises his team's chances of winning with his, shot making and with his I think one of the most underrated things about Jimmy Butler is his ability to take care of the ball like his assist to turnover ratio is crazy and that is a very Chris Paul thing which is you're never going to be like in an MVP argument people are like well he has only 2.1 assist I mean a 2.1 turnovers like it's not a sexy thing to do is to take care of the ball but Jimmy Butler and Chris Paul are outrageously good at making game-winning plays or, or great plays without screwing up all these possessions. Well, I, I think 
the other ones who you see it a lot reflected in is uh, James Harden. Like James Harden might turn the ball over a little bit more, but the fact that he lives in at the free throw line, like he was playing on a team in Houston that wasn't very strong defensively, and Jimmy does this as well, but the fact that he lives at the free throw line actually allows a bad defensive team to set their defense and not constantly play in transition, which they're not going to do well anyhow, right? So it really gives you like such a huge advantage to winning, and it's a purposeful thing, you know what I mean? So yeah, no, I'm I'm totally with you there. Yeah, Jimmy's ability to get to the line is is crazy now. Like, yeah, I mean, you can do, do whatever like, he wants. Sometimes, like, I'll look at it from like the standpoint of like I can see the arguments of like the other people because now you see like players that are against him, like they're waiting for it to happen. They've talked about it and shoot around, walk through, like the coach been, and then the ref will like give them something, and they're like, "Come on, man, again!" Like, <laughs> Luke Walton said it in uh, he was shooting free throws against Sacramento. And Jimmy was at the line. You could hear because there's no fans in the arena. So the, the mics catch up, pick the, the coaches talking. And as Jimmy was about to shoot his second free throw, literally ball in his hand, Luke Walton goes, it was in the second quarter too. He's like, man, he's been to the free throw line 10 times. And as he was shooting the next one, Jimmy goes, 11. <laughs> it was bang on, right? Like, was, but like these are like the people's like reactions to it. And I, I see like, his interactions with the referees, one, like he, you know, he definitely plays in a way where like, you can't be in the middle. Like you're going to have to say something, right? You're going to, you're going to have to. And I think a lot of times referees reward the aggressor, if that makes sense. Like, especially when that person has the ball in their hands. But um, no, I, I see his interactions with referees, even like when we're away from the game. So like he remembers everybody's names, like he's nice that, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's definitely kind of neat. The method to the madness. Yeah. The old method to the madness technique. Uh, man, we got five minutes left. What do you want to talk about, Tom? Uh, I mean, hard, you, like, hit, hard hitting questions. Yeah, hard hitting questions. Uh, give me all your Miles Garrett stories. Oh, man. <laughs> so I had Sean Williams. Sean Williams, uh, that um, I worked with him when he played for Boston and uh, the Maps. Um, like the, the majority of his, his career, like in terms of like people kind of taking note of him was in New Jersey, just cause yeah. he's like 6'10", 230 pounds. Like you talk about like an athletic freak, like he's that, right? Like, so he got drafted by, uh, New Jersey because Rod Thorne came and watched him do a workout and, and Lucas ran the workout and, uh, they started the whole thing. They gave Sean a ball. He stood at uh, on the baseline of one floor. So a basketball court's 92 feet. Uh, Luke told him, uh, dribble the ball two, two times the length of the floor and dunk the ball, right? The opposite basket. And Sean, before warming up, I don't even think had his shoes tied up, did it. And Rod Thorne looked at John Lucas like, we're done. Like, okay, <laughs> do it, right? So he gets to New Jersey, has some struggles, whatever. Um, when I start working with him, uh, I think he's maybe in his fourth or fifth year. I go to visit him in Dallas one year and, uh, we walk into his, his parents' house and his like younger brother is like sitting playing video games, right? Glasses on, like whatever. I look and I'm like, in my head, I'm like, damn, like Sean got security. Like what's this? Like it, it made no sense. Right. He's talking about a massive human being. He's, I, he's like, oh, that's my young brother. I'm like, how old is he? He's like 14 years old. He was 6'4", 270 pounds. Oh, I think my like God. Maybe 5% body fat, right? And his passion at this point in life was playing video games and computer games. 
like wore glasses, like whatever. They were forcing him to play football, which was hard because in Texas it's really hot and he didn't like it and stuff. So, um, is there a universe in which Miles Garrett just doesn't play football? Yeah, it was at this time. Like they were making him big, like they're making him do it. So Sean's in the NBA. His other uh, sister is goes to Texas A&M. She's a, a NCAA champion shot putter. She could throw a, a shot put, like whatever, like uh, an Olympic level is. She was doing this, right? So like just like a family of like, like just athletes, right? So uh, two weeks later, um, I get a call from uh, Donnie Nelson and, and Sean's playing for the Mavericks at the time. Anytime when Sean was was unique, like he he once ate an entire bag of chocolate covered almonds on the bench and then threw up on the court, right? Like there's a YouTube clip of of him doing it. Like played his butt off, but like he ate three pounds of chocolate covered almonds before they ran out. He threw up everywhere. So whenever Donnie would call me, I would see his name on on my phone and think like, oh, today's the day, right? Like he ate another bag of candy. <laughs> like like something mad here, right? So I answer my phone. It's Don, nicest guy in the world. He's like, hey, I need you to talk to uh, Sean. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, he can't uh, be bringing, um, he, he can't be bringing uh, like security and stuff like that into play one-on-one. He's going to, it's going to like hurt himself. They're standing there just trying to dunk on each other. Right. And I'm like, oh my God. Okay. Uh, no problem. I'll take care of it. So I call Sean. I'm like, hey man, what happened? You went into the facility last night, you and a bunch of your friends and like, you know, somebody like you almost hurt somebody. He's like, no, it was me and Miles, my 14-year-old brother. And they played this game where one would start at the free throw line, the other would stand under the basket, and they would just try and dunk on each other. And <laughs> fuck the other one, right? Miles was 14 years old. Right? Sean was in his fourth or fifth year in the NBA, one of the most athletic players. But yeah, no, he was like, he by far is like most insane athlete I've, I've ever seen. With like, Has he ever broken a backboard with you? Like, have you seen him break a backboard? Yeah, like he, he... Who's the best dunker in the NBA right now? Like Derek Jones Jr. Like he's he's like that. Like mm. in terms of that level of like just being able, it, it it doesn't make any sense. When I saw a clip of him playing basketball, I was like, that reminds me of Julius Peppers at Carolina. But he's yeah. bigger than that, I think, and more athletic. Like Julius Peppers, maybe could do like a two foot one hand, you know, a little bit of a lean. Like everything would have to be lined up perfectly. Like with Miles, you put nine people in the paint, like he's going to do it. Mm. Yeah. I just watched this clip and literally everybody on the bench just gets up. And then, oh, well, you know, Vince Carter. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. I did he, not know that. I mean, chocolate covered almonds. That's incredible. Well, yeah. I, uh, Bernie, thank you so much for joining us on the Haber show, man. It's been, uh, it's been really great to see Jimmy just be able to keep ascending and, and let's see if he gets to that MVP level at the end of the year. That's crazy. Do you two guys have votes? Are you still? I don't have a vote this year, no. You mean you got a vote? I don't think I have a vote, man. I think they got me up out of there. Or no, because this What's is a no situation. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Let, let me know. You, okay. You no, know, you let me know. Okay. You, you going to you gonna send the gift basket? Man, wait, I just gave you an hour. You need another hour? Like, wait. <laughs> <laughs>Yes, we just wrapped with, with Bernie Lee, and I want to remind people about the Stereo app. Download it because oh, yeah. tomorrow, Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, Amin and I are going to do like, as we do every week, a little post show, you know, recap of the, you know, the, the pod that we just did or just any lingering thoughts from the, the, the Haber Show that week. Haber Show live on the Stereo app. At Darth Amin, at 
Haber Show. Follow us. Subscribe. When when you see the link come up, you're going to hit the thing. It's going to remind you to come join us. And hey, look, it'll be worth your while. And as I promised in the middle of the show, I will reiterate my promise. You submit voice note questions for Bernie Lee. He represents Jimmy Butler. He's represented John Lucas III in the past and Mike James uh, and Miles Garrett in a weird <laughs> twist, right? NFL superstar. So any questions you have for Bernie among those guys or whatever, maybe you want to ask him what kind of movie would be his favorite movie for Cinephobe. I don't care, but I do care that you guys are engaged and I'm trying to give you guys an avenue here to be engaged a little bit more. Yeah, that's what's great about stereo is you can ask and interact on the show. Uh, comment, question, trivia. We'll do it Wednesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern. Follow at Darth Amin at Haberstro on the stereo app. We'll talk to you then.